We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. We are in week four of our series called Next Gen where we are talking about what it looks like to build foundations and to raise up leaders for the kingdom of God. And what we've looked at over these weeks uh, and through this series is about uh, this biblical mandate that we've received from God to impart our faith to the next generation and how God has uniquely designed the home to be the primary place where that discipleship happens. You heard uh, Blake say it, the church is secondary, it's supplemental. The primary place for the discipleship of our children and our grandchildren is in the home. That's where it happens uh, first. And through this series, we've been in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, and we've looked uh, for these first three weeks through about the first uh, uh, nine or ten verses, and what we've discovered is this theme that keeps rising up. And this thing that keeps kind of uh, being a part of what we talked about. And here's kind of the overarching theme. It's this, to hear, to do, and then to teach. To hear the commands of God, to do these commands, and then to teach them to the next generation. That's why Deuteronomy 6 is called the Shema. Now, after three weeks, we should all know what the word Shema means. What does it mean? To what? Okay, I, I, I know I sound like I got peanut butter on the roof of my mouth this morning because I've got a head cold, but I can't hear you all that well. If you know it, I want you to say it. What does the word Shema mean? To what? To hear, to listen, pay attention. That's what that word means, and it's what describes particularly verse 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy 6. It's called the Shema because ultimately what we're doing is hearing and doing. We're receiving and responding. That's the overarching theme. Hear the command, do the command, and teach the commands of God. And that's what we want for our children. That's what, as parents, what our children need to see is us hearing the commands of God, doing the commands of God, and then teaching them the same and, and that's why we've been in Deuteronomy 6. That's what this series is about. So if you want to grab your Bible and go to Deuteronomy 6, we're actually going to start in verse 20. But I want to kind of catch you up as to where we've been over the last several weeks. Before we jump into verse 20 through 25, just a quick reminder, verses 1 through 3, uh, we looked at back in week 1. And we talked about this idea of generation to generation and how we're going to transmit what we treasure, right? So we're, we're going to transmit something to our children. So we want to transmit the treasures of God. And in verse four and five, we learned the next week, we learned what the treasure is. And Moses said, hear, O Israel, 
the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. When Jesus was asked about it, he said that right there. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5 is the most important commandment in the entire Bible. That's kind of what we looked at in week two. And then last week in verses uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9, we looked at how we do that. How do we transmit this treasure of our God being one and how to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind? And Moses taught them by saying, here's what you do. You bind God's word on your hands. You bind it on your head and you put it on the doorpost of your home. The point being, God's word needs to control what our hands do, control what our minds think, and cover our homes. What we see in verses 10 through 19, um, we're not going to read those verses today, but what we see as we get ready to get into verse uh, 20 is now they're about to step into the promised land. Remember, Deuteronomy is one long sermon. This is the last thing Moses will tell them before they go to the promised land and he dies. Remember, he doesn't get to go to the promised land with them. So they're, he's, they're about to step in and he doesn't get to go. He's going to die. This is the last thing he will say to them. And in verses 10 through 19, here's what he says. He says, you're about to step into this promised land that God promised all the way back to Abraham when he said, I'm going to bring you into a land that is flourishing, a land where your descendants will be able to, to grow and outnumber the stars in the sky and the sands on the shore. Moses said, we're at the door right now. That's what we're about to enter into. And he said, when you go in, you're going to find that you get to have homes you didn't build. And you're going to eat from gardens that you didn't plant. And you're going to drink water from wells you didn't dig. And you're going to live in cities that you didn't establish. And this is going to be the blessing and the grace of God poured out on you. And when you do that, he says this, do not forget the Lord. Remember me. The reason he told them to love the Lord is because they were about to enter a land where other gods were served with the little g, many gods. And they didn't know the Lord God. They didn't know the God of Israel, the one true God. And Moses says, when you step into that and God provides you with the home and he provides you with the well, he provides you with the city, he provides you with good things to eat, you're going to eat and you're going to be full. By the way, a feeling they probably hadn't had for about 450 years. They'd been slaves for 400 and wandered for 40 more. And now Moses said, all of that is coming to an end. You're going to enter into this land. And when you do, remember the Lord God. And we, the reason we remember him, the reason Moses wanted these truths on their mind and for them to get, begin to transmit these treasures to their children is because Moses knew their lives and their families needed to live different than the land that they were about to enter, that as they hear and do and teach that their homes were going to look different than those around them, they would be distinct, they would stand out, and it, it was, should stand out in such a way, we're going to see this morning in verse uh, 20 in particular, it should stand out in such a way that your children should, should wonder uh, and ask a very important question right? It's a tiny little question with only three little letters, 
It's a question that's been driving parents crazy for a thousand years, but it should cause your children to ask, why? Why? Now, parents, I don't know about you, but there was a season in our life where my children were why machines, right? They just had it on repeat. Why? Why? It didn't matter what we told them. Brush your teeth. Why? Right? Don't go out in the street. Why? That's not where the fork goes. Why? Right? You know, all sorts of questions. Don't put that in the outlet. Why? All that sort of stuff, perpetually asking why. And there's times they still do. And I think part of it is because God has given them an inquisitive mind. They're smart. But I also think it's because there's times they know it's going to drive me absolutely insane. And they just get some, a measure of joy out of it, I think. And so <laughs> they ask why. But what Moses is telling the people of Israel, he says, you're about to enter this land and you need to live in such a way that your home and your life is radically different than the world around you. And if you do that, the question your children are going to ask you is why? Why do we do the things we do? And Moses said, you got to be ready to answer that question. So let's look in verse 20 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. God's word says this. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were... Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers, to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. Why? For our good, always. That he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Let's pray. God, we are your people. You are our God and we need to hear you today. Father, we need your voice. We need the truth and the power of your word. Um, we, just, we just need you to draw near, Lord. And As we wrestle with what it looks like to raise disciples that love you and, and love your son Jesus and the work that he has done for us, God, I pray that, that you would give us wisdom, that you would draw out from your word the truths that matter, the treasures of God, and how, Father, we are to take those treasures and apply them into our lives. So, God, more than to hear me speak, I pray they would hear your voice and that your word would be illuminated for us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So look again at verse 20, Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. Moses says, When your sons ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and these statutes and these rules that the Lord our God has command, commanded you? That's a very simple question. Moses says, the question is this, why? Why do we live like this? Why do we follow these rules? Why did God give us 
these commands? Why do we do things differently? Why do we worship a different God than that? And notice how Moses uh, phrased the question. He says, when, when your sons, when your children in time come and ask you this, why is that important? Because in that word, we recognize Moses is assuming that as the people hear and do and teach the commands of God, it's going to cause such a distinction in how they live that their children will notice it. It's going to cause such a distinction and set them apart in such a way that a natural question is going to rise up in the hearts of their children. And and the question is going to be, why do we do this? Listen, I've wrestled with this question this week and through this series, and I want us to wrestle with it this morning, and that is this. Is there enough of a distinction between my home and the world that this question would occur to my children to ask? Do we live in such a way? Do we live set apart? Do we live in such a way Is the gospel so transformed us and God's word so critical and vital and life-giving? And are the the priorities of our home different enough and set apart enough that it would cause our children to look at the world around them and for this question to rise up, why do we do this? Or are my children asking a different question or your children asking a different question and are they asking the question of, if, if we go to church and we say we love Jesus, why do we do the same things they do? Why are we just like everybody else? Those are hard questions. Um, there are things I've wrestled with through the series and, and particularly this week. But it is a critical question for us to ask, which is, are we living in such a way that this would even occur to our children? to ask. Why do we trust God's word? Why don't we go where they go? Why don't we talk like they talk? Why am I not allowed to do what their kids are allowed to do? Why is this thing happening and not the other? Why do we make church a priority on Sunday? Why are you in a small group? Why do you bring me for children's ministry or, or for students? Why is that happening? Are they asking those questions because we live distinct? Moses says, you should be set apart in such a way that they would ask that question. And then he says, and when they ask, I want to tell you how you are to answer that question of why. And what does he say? Did he say, oh, the first thing you do is you tell them, well, because God said so. That's not what he says, is it? Does he say, well, it's because God is God and you're not God. Now, is that true? Yes, it's 100% true, promise you. But that's not what Moses said. What does he say? You, uh, it's because if we don't do it, he'll strike us dead. Or Is that the answer? No. Well, that's just what Christian families do. No. Because God said so. <laughs> Can I just tell you this morning, your God is not. Hey, because I said so, God. That is not who he is. Now, every parent in this room right now, you're feeling a little sting in your heart, right? 
I'm feeling it with you. <laughs> because there are times when we come to the end of the number of times we can answer the question, why? Right? We labor. We get there. We're trying to be patient. I try. I promise I do. And eventually... I get to the end, and I feel like I've answered the question, but then it does keeps going, and finally I get to the point where all I have left is what? Because I said so. By the way, students, children, if you ever get your parents to say, because I said so, know that that's the last tool out of the bag that they have. They got nothing left after that. You took them to the brink, and now that's the last thing. If they, if they don't say, because I said so, one of you are going to die, okay? And... <laughs> So that's all they got. They got because I said so. But Moses is saying, when your children ask why, don't say because I said so. Because I said so may get you a, a momentary uh, a time of obedience. It may get you a temporary result, but what it doesn't give you is a transformed heart. Because I said so doesn't transform the heart. And what we know of God's word in 1 Samuel chapter 6, we know that God is infinitely more concerned with the heart. He tells the prophet, man looks on the outside, but I look on the heart. God is infinitely more concerned with transforming the heart. And so we must help our, under, our children understand that we do these things. We walk in obedience to God because of his love and his grace and his blessing that has been poured out on us. So how do we do that? How do we transmit that treasure and that truth? How do we answer the question, why? I want to give you four things this morning. Here's the first one. I think the first way we answer that question is we point them continually to the story of the gospel. We point them continually to the story of the gospel. That's the first thing we do. Look again at verse 21 through the first part of verse 23. Moses says, they're going to ask, and then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household. And he did it before our eyes. We saw it. And he brought us out from there. How does Moses tell them to answer the question, why? He says, tell them the story of God. <laughs> tell them how God delivered us. He said, tell them how we were slaves, that we were slaves to Pharaoh that we were hopeless, that we were unable to free ourselves, that we were there for 400 years. Tell them that we would be there still if it weren't for the rescue of God. Tell them how God rescued us, that he did it through the blood of a lamb that we put on our doorposts. Tell them about the sacrificial lamb. In other words, remind them. Now remember, verse 6 through 9, of Deuteronomy 6, Moses said, you need to put this word, put this law in your hands and your head and your doorpost. But what Moses is saying is as you tell them the story of God, what you need to remind them is that before the law was nailed on the doorpost, we put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. In other words, before God required anything from us, he rescued us. 
and we obey the requirement because we've been rescued. So believer, how does that apply to us? How does that translate to us? Because our story is the same. Our story is the same. The story of the gospel is this, that God came into history to save us. Here's the deal. We were slaves, amen? According to Romans 6, we were slaves to sin. We were hopeless, unable to free ourselves. We were there all of our lives, and we would be there still if not for the rescue of God. And how did he rescue us? The blood of a lamb rescued us. The blood of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, he gave us Jesus. And through that, Jesus went to war on our behalf. And he warred against our slave master who was sin. And he defeated our enemy. And he brought us out of the land of slavery so that he could bring us in to the land of promise. He said, when they ask why, you tell them the story of God. You tell them the gospel You remind them that before Jesus ever asked us to obey obey a requirement, he rescued us. Believer, don't forget that you walk in obedience not because God said so, but because God saved you and he blesses you. And he sustains you and he brought you out of wherever you were so that he could bring you in to a land of promise and an eternal hope of relationship with him forever. And in the light of that, in the light of I'm not where I was and I'm not who I was, in the light of that, I'm going to obey because I've been rescued. The first thing we do is we point them to the story of the gospel. What's the second thing we do when we're answering this question of why? We show them it's not about being delivered from, but being brought to. It's not about being delivered from, but being brought to. Look again at verse 23. He said, and he brought us out from there, talking about Egypt, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. Moses said, while God brought us out, it just wasn't for the sake of bringing us out. Yes, our God is the God of deliverance, but his deliverance has purpose. He has delivered us from something so that he can deliver us to something greater. Moses said, you got to tell him. It ain't about what we were brought out of. It's about what we're being delivered to. That's one of the answers to the question of why. What if, the, what if the story of the people of Israel and the children of God ended when God got them out of Egypt? What if that was the end right there? What if the story ended in the desert? There is no real deliverance unless there is the promised land. Without the promised land, There's no real deliverance. They're just out of one kind of slavery into another. Believer, the reason we can say we've been delivered is because we have been brought out so that he can bring us in. Which is why for me, 
I think it is incredibly important that your children know your story. That they know how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. That they know that you find deep satisfaction and joy in the salvation you have received from Jesus and that nothing compares. They need to know your story. And yes, they need to know that mom and dad, grandma and granddad were sinners and still are. They need to know you're not perfect. By the way, they already know, so you might as well stop trying to fool them. They know you're not perfect. Anybody else that used to think your grandparents were perfect? I knew my mom and dad were sinners. That was obvious. Uh, (laughs) But I thought my grandparents were sinless, right? There was no way my grandmother could make the pot roast that tasted that delicious and not be an angel. It wasn't possible. I didn't believe it. But turns out they were sinners. They were good ones. And um, (laughs) they're with Jesus now, so I can say that. Uh, But they need to know your story. They need to know that you struggled with sin. And it's okay for them to know that you struggled. And it's okay for them to know how you struggled. But what they need to know infinitely above and beyond that is that Jesus sets you free from that struggle. Have you ever heard someone tell their testimony or share their story? And there was almost a little bit of pride in how bad they were before they met Jesus. They loved telling you what wicked sinners they were and what nonsense they were into. And they camped out on the horror of their life before Christ. Who you were before Jesus matters, but who you are and who you are becoming matters infinitely more. Where you were before Jesus matters, but where you are and where you are going in Christ matters infinitely more. So when you tell your children your story, it's okay for them to know you struggled, but what they need to know is that Jesus saved you and he is raising up in you a life that satisfies and you are becoming something you never could become apart from. From him, we got to tell them our story. I think we see how we do this a little bit in Romans chapter 6. I think we see it played out, verse 20 through 23. It says this, For when, we, when you were slaves of sin, that's who we were. We were slaves of sin. You were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, What good was that life? What were you getting being a slave to sin? For the end of those things is death. But now, now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, that's who we are, free from sin and eternally bound to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is what? Eternal life. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Your children need to know your story. They need to know that, yes, mom and dad struggled and still do, that we were separated from God and had no hope of saving ourselves and would be there still, but for the grace of Jesus Christ that invaded my life and saved me. I have been set free from sin and I am being sanctified and I am moving toward an eternal hope with him 
in heaven. Your kids need to know your story. We need to point them to the gospel. We need to show them it's not about being delivered from. It's about being brought to. Moses said when they asked, tell them God brought us out so he could bring us in. Here's the third thing. Teach them that God's commands are meant to enhance our joy, not restrict it. Now, if we ever got a hold of this, because the truth is most adults don't walk in the truth of that statement, that God's commands are meant to enhance our joy, not restrict it. Look at verse 24. It says, And the Lord God commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. Why? For our good always. That he might preserve us alive, sustain this life, give us life as we are this day. The point here is simple. When my children see that obedience to God is the most satisfying joy-giving thing in my life, it positions them to walk in that same obedience. But too often when my children hear me say that Jesus satisfies and watch me live a life of covetousness, of jealousy, of not being able to celebrate when other people win and do well, of wanting what somebody else has, of never really being satisfied with what I have. I might say Jesus satisfies, but the life I'm demonstrating is Jesus ain't enough. And what Moses is saying is when you tell them this, you say the, you remind them the commands of God don't restrict our joy. They cause it to thrive. They enhance our joy. For us, what does that mean? It needs to, our children need to know that obedience to Jesus is what gives us life. It's what gives us joy. It's what makes us happy. It's what makes us glad. It's what makes us satisfied. It's what makes us content. And the more I walk in obedience to Jesus, the less I need of anything else. I don't want my children to need stuff to feel happy. I don't want my children to need somebody else's approval to feel worthy. I don't want my sons and my daughter to need anybody else on this planet to affirm them in order for them to know they have an intrinsic value and worth that cannot be diminished because of Jesus. Well, how are they going to know that? It can't just be that I say it. They got to see me walking in it. They got to see me eternally happy in Christ. So, matter, you're saying we don't get to have a bad day. No, I'm not. But I'm saying, even in our bad days, we demonstrate a contentment, we demonstrate a satisfaction. Even my worst days don't get to touch my joy. Why? Because my joy comes from somewhere other than any circumstance this world, of this world. And I want my children to know what you want your children to know. And that is that God satisfies. 
And that as I walk in obedience to his word, it enhances. It is jet fuel. It is, it is jet fuel and a propane torch on my joy. That's what it is. It ignites in me something that nothing else can. It does not restrict. It enhances. That's the third thing. Here's the last thing. They're going to ask why. When they ask why, what do we do? We point them to the gospel. We show them it's not about where we were. It's about where God is taking us. We remind them that God's word enhances our joy. It doesn't diminish. And here's the last thing. We remind them that our righteousness isn't found in what we do, but in what Jesus has done. Look at verse 25. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. And you say, well, Matt, hold on. Moses just said it will be righteousness if we're careful to do the commands. But you just told us we got to let them know righteousness isn't found in what we do, but in what Jesus has done. Yes, in righteousness, living righteously, it involves a measure of doing. But listen, that doing is in response to what has been done for us. Moses said they're going to ask you why. And when they do, tell them the story of God. Tell them how God delivered us, how he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, and how our obedience is in response to what he has done. Believer, your children need to know that our righteousness isn't built on what we have done or anything that we could do. It's built on and sustained by the work of Jesus and what he has done. So what does that mean? This is for everybody in the room, especially students, kids. I want you to hear me say this. It means that your righteousness before God has nothing to do with your performance. We're just going to rest there for a minute because many of us have spent a life believing if I do better and he loves me more. Your righteousness before God has that much to do. That's a zero amount, by the way, if you're wondering. That much to do with your performance. God help me if what I hand down to my children is if they'll do better, God will love them more. What I want them to know is that when they find, when they put their life into the life of Jesus, when they trust in the finished work of Christ and they allow the God who loved them enough to send his son to save them through his son, when they do that, what they're going to find is they're going to take off the robe of sin and wanting and being insufficient, not being enough and always needing more and always needing something else. They're going to take that robe off and Jesus is going to put it on. But before Jesus puts it on, he's going to take his robe of righteousness off and he's going to wrap me in it so that when I am presented before the throne of God, God's word says, I am presented faultless and without blame. How is that possible? Because I'm wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus and it had nothing to do with my performance, which means my performance can't diminish my righteousness. It can't do it. 
So mom and dad, do not transmit to your children that if you do better, I love you more. Because that tells them the same is true of God. Transmit to your children that I love you with an everlasting love and there's not a thing you can do about it. You be sure your babies know that there's not a thing they could do to diminish your love for them and that you are proud of them. I tell my children, this world is filled with billions of other children. How is it that God gave me the best three? How is that possible that out of all the billions, I got the best three, and I want you to tell your children that because it needs to be true for you. Your baby should know that you love them and their worst day doesn't diminish that love and their best day doesn't make it better. Because if you will do that, what you're demonstrating is God's love for you doesn't grow or diminish based on your performance. It is about what Jesus has done and because you've put your life in Jesus, you are now presented before his throne faultless and without blame. And you are loved with an everlasting love. And it cannot be diminished. It cannot be tainted. It cannot be taken. It is yours. Are you, are you living in such a way as a family that it would occur to your children to ask, why do we live this way? Why do we live different than our home, than other homes? Why does the Bible matter? Why does church matter? Why, why do we not go and do what others... Are you living in such a way that it would cause them to ask that question? Know that as I ask that, I'm asking myself. <laughs> because if we are, and I pray we are, when they ask why, we need to point them to the gospel. We need to remind them that it isn't about where we were, it's about where God is taking us. We need to be sure they know that God's word gives us life and joy, it doesn't restrict it. And we need to be sure they know that our righteousness isn't dependent upon what we do, but on what Jesus has done. That's the heartbeat of next gen. That's the treasure I want to transmit to my children. And I want them to have that treasure and I want them to exhaust their lives being satisfied by God. Because if they'll do that, they won't have to be satisfied by anything else. That's what I want. And I know that's what you want for your children. And that's what this campaign and this sermon series is about. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.